Well, as we have just sung about, when we look around at the creation of God, how can we but praise Him? What does creation teach us about God? Throughout Old Testament poetry, there are lots of times where creation, descriptions of creation, are used to praise God, to honor God. Uh, One of my favorite examples of this is Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4. When I consider your heavens, the work of your hands, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of him, human beings that you care for them? And one of the reasons that I really love this passage here is is not only does the psalmist use a description of creation to praise God, but he also makes a theological point about God, that we are so small and God is so great. All of this just from looking at creation. And so tonight what I want us to do is I want us to see the perfect order and beauty that is inherent in creation and how sin sows disorder and devolution into that order and how God then sets sets out to redeem His people through a new creation. As we begin, pray with me. Lord God of heaven and earth, creator of the world, we are in awe of you. Help us to see your greatness. Help us to see your plan for us. And help us to be motivated to live according to your will that you have for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you're not already there, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, we're going to be in, Lord willing, tonight, mostly just the first 12 chapters of Genesis. Genesis 1 verse 1, God created, well, I misquoted the easiest verse to quote in the Bible. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God is present. What a profound statement just that aspect of this verse is. That in the beginning, before anything else is, God is present. And then He chooses to create. And just with His voice, He speaks into existence all of creation. And he does this in such a logical format. We're all familiar with the way that he does this. First, he he creates creates the light and the, the land and the water and the sky. And then he creates things to inhabit those places. So he creates the plants and the stars and the, uh, and the animals. And this is all out of order. But you get the picture of the logic with which he goes through and he creates and the order that he creates and the perfection that is involved. And then in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26... God says, let us make man in our own image 
Let him rule over creation and subdue it. All throughout this text, as God is creating, he creates something and he sees that it's good. He creates something and he sees that it's good. So he creates man here. And for the first time, he sees that something is not good. In chapter 2, verse 18, it's not good for the man to be alone. The man requires a helper. And so the Lord creates for him a helper. And the two of them are placed in a garden in in chapter 2, verse 8. The two of them are placed in a garden specifically for them. That's perfect that they are told to take care of and to tend. And so implicit here in the logic of creation is this paradigm. God is the author of all. Man and woman are then to rule over creation. This is the way that God created the world when he created everything. This is his intention for everything to to follow in this order. Humans obeying God and listening to him and then wielding all of creation in order to bring him glory and honor and praise. So what happens when this logic is then disturbed? Well, in Genesis chapter 3, we don't have to wait too long to find out. In Genesis chapter 3, the serpent comes on the scene. And this serpent has a question for Eve. He approaches Eve and he says, Did God say to you that you couldn't eat any of the trees in your I don't know that I had really thought about that question too much until preparing for this lesson, but what a ridiculous question. Did God tell you that you couldn't eat? Did God say that you couldn't eat anything? And Eve says, no, no, no. It's just the one tree that's in the middle of the garden. That's the tree that we're not to partake of. Any other tree, we can can eat of that. And Satan says, that's... God is keeping you from something. He doesn't want you to be like him. And so he's telling you not to partake of this tree. Remember, in chapter 1, verse 26, why did God create man? So that he would be like God. Let's make man in our own image. The very reason that God puts rules and regulations in place for us is expressly so that we will be like him. He puts limits on us to try to guide us to be as much like him as possible. But Satan here is trying to trick Eve into believing that the opposite is true. That really, God has these regulations in place because he doesn't want you to be like him. And so Eve takes of the fruit. Eve buys into the lie 
that Satan is trying to sell her here. Adam also, it seems to be present at the time. Uh, This whole time, the Hebrew pronouns here are all plural. Uh, So it seems like the serpent is not only speaking to Eve, but it seems like Adam is also present. And he follows along with what Eve does, and he submits to the serpent, the serpent that they were supposed to have dominion over. He obeys the serpent along with Eve, rather than obeying God. In this moment, Eve thinks she is breaking the yoke. She's no longer a servant. She's not going to listen to anyone. She's going to be her own God. But in reality, all she's doing here is bowing the knee to another master. You see, an iron law of the universe is that we are going to serve one of two masters. We will either serve the Creator or the created. Here Eve has chosen, thinking that she is striking out on her own path. She's becoming her own master, but in reality, she is just following along with another master. Satan is so good at tricking us, though, into making it seem like the created thing is what's really going to bring us happiness, what's really going to bring us joy, what's really going to bring us fulfillment. This is what Ecclesiastes, the writer of Ecclesiastes, has in mind. The whole time he goes throughout the book and he says, surely this is what it's going to be. Surely this is what's going to bring me happiness. But nothing does. And finally at the end of the book, in chapter 12, verse 13, he realizes the meaning of life is obey God. Keep His commandments. Use everything at our disposal in order to bring Him glory and honor and praise. Use creation to praise God. Don't use creation to try to achieve Happiness. In the book of Hosea, Hosea is called by the Lord to a really a heart wrenching task. He is called to marry a harlot, to join himself to an unfaithful woman. God's point in this is to make a parable of what the people of Israel are doing. The people of Israel are supposed to be married to God. They are supposed to be united to God in everything, worshiping Him and putting Him first. But instead, they've put first other idols. They've committed adultery. And in chapter 2... God is telling the people, look, you have committed adultery against me and you've done it with everything that I've given you. Everything that I've blessed you with, you've used it to worship idols. In Hosea 2, verse 7, she will pursue her lovers 
but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me than now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold that she used for Baal. God has given us all of these things, all of creation, in order for us to use it to praise God. And yet so often we want to turn and worship the created thing instead of the creator. The gifts that God has given us, we don't praise Him for. Someone said, money and sex are two of the best things in the world. Unless you don't believe in God. And then they'll destroy your life. What a powerful statement. And really you can take that. Replace it with anything in our lives. They're wonderful. They're blessings. They're great. Unless we're not using them in the way that God intended us for them to be used. And then they will destroy us. In the absence of God, all life is miserable, all life is meaningless. But when God is present, everything has meaning because everything, it has potential to be used for God's glorification. All things praise thee, Lord, may we. So what happens when... We take the paradigm that God has put in place and we flip it upside down. We listen to creation. We follow after creation. We strive after creation. Unless, instead of listening to God, what happens when we do that? Well, in chapter 3, in Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 16, we have the curses that are going to come upon the man and the woman. In verse 16, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your, your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat your bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Because of sin, because we have taken what God has created as perfect and we have ruined it, there are consequences for that. And so for the woman, there's going to be pain in childbearing. And for the man, there's going to be difficulty tilling the ground. 
Sin brings punishment. This land that the Lord had blessed them with, He had created them and then He had planted them specifically in His garden, this land is now cursed and they are banished from it, all because of the fact that they have not listened to God and they have followed after the creation. When you look, when you just stop at this point in the story, it could all be over right now. God could have said, I tried, but it's over, it didn't work, it was a failed experiment. But what he does instead is he begins a new creation. Go ahead and turn over to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house and to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who curse you. I will bless those who bless you, excuse me, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So he calls Abraham and he says, I am going to bless you. I am going to make your name great. I am going to bring many children forth from you. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And I'm going to give you a land. So God, the punishment that has come upon the people is due to the fact that they have sinned and it involves the land not being productive and pain and childbearing. And then God turns it around and begins a new creation with Abraham and he says, listen, now the land is going to be blessed and you are going to have a great nation. It's a picture of... Uh, sort of a microcosm of the Garden of Eden once again. He's taking Abram and he's planting him in a special land that he's prepared for him and he has all of these blessings set up for him. We took everything that God had intended in creation and flipped it upside down and God says, I'll start over. I will make a new creation. And of course, we can't talk about Abraham and the promises to Abraham without looking at Jesus. The ultimate fulfillment of the promises to Abraham is in Jesus. Go ahead and look over with me. Uh, first of all, in Colossians 1. Colossians 1. As the Lord prepares this new creation for us who have sinned and fallen short, Here's a second chance, a new hope. Colossians 1, beginning in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all, all things 
were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were crafted through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Through Jesus, a brand new creation has begun. Through the blood of his cross and the fact that he was the firstborn of all creation and also the firstborn from the dead, a new creation from the dead. He raises and through him we have a hope. And we are a part of this new creation. Look at 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5. Beginning in verse 17, a beautiful passage. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their, response, their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. We are, through Jesus, a part of a new creation that he has prepared for us. The original creation... When God put everything into place and he put out the plan that we should follow and how we should obey him and have dominion over creation, we ruined that. And yet he gives us a second chance through the forgiveness of our sins in Jesus. In Jesus, his death and his resurrection, he leads the way to this new this new creation. In life, in, in Jesus... In his death and resurrection, he shows us that death is less than death and life is more than life. Death can't hold us anymore. Death can't stop us anymore because of what Jesus has done for us. And life is more than just life because it is something to be lived in order to glorify him and to bring praise and honor to him. I began tonight with uh, Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4. What a powerful passage. I'll read it one more time. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of him? Human beings that you care for them. Not only are we insignificant, not only are we so small, but the God who created 
the universe, cares so much for us, even though we've sinned, even though we've fallen short, He cares for us. He wants to save us. He wants to save us so much that He sent His Son to die for us. He wants to save us so much that He made a whole new creation for us through Jesus. I want to close tonight with uh, with a poem. I'm, you've probably heard it, but I, I think it really goes well with this tonight. It's called A New Leaf. He came to my desk with a quivering lip. The lesson was done. Have you a new sheet for me, dear teacher? I have spoiled this one. I took his sheet, all soiled and blotted, and gave him a new one, all unspotted. And into his heart, and into his tired heart, I cried, Do better now, my child. I came to the throne with trembling heart. The day was done. Have you a new day for me, dear master? I've spoiled this one. He took my day, all soiled and blotted, and gave me a new one, all unspotted. And into my heart he cried, Do better now, my child. We've fallen short, we've sinned. God has given us a new leaf, a new creation, another chance. If tonight you need to take that chance if you are not right with God and you want to come forward and you want to, uh, to be baptized for the remission of your sins and to come and to join into this new creation that Jesus has blessed us with. Even though it is not what we deserved, He has given us this hope. If we can help you now, won't you come forward as we stand and sing.